Sharing the same escape rocket as infants and sent off before their planet's destruction, it's the IGN Digigods. Now please welcome Krypton's Forgotten Sons, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Good to have you back, Mark. Why, thank you. But before we get to that, Corey, who sent in that intro? That was brought to you by Peter Kosaurus. Rhymes with uh, banana. <laughs> he is right. It does. <laughs> so, um, yes, sir. Would you would you care to uh, share what top secret uh, thing you were doing that kept you out of out of this show? Surprisingly, for two weeks, it was it was just a miserable work project. That's really all it was. It was just it was a miserable work yes, project. Yes, thirteen hour days. Did you make any OT time and a half? I don't get OT or time and a half. I'm a salaried employee. Oh, that's that blows. So if I work eight hours a day, if I work fifteen hours a day, it's the same thing. So literally, so basically, you're a surf. Yes, I'm a surf. Okay. So, so I I went to a bat mitzvah the uh, the previous weekend. Yes, that was during the time when I was working these thirteen hour days. We are literally at the party doing the hora, right at the Skirball Center. Mm-hmm. And during the bat mitzvah, I would have to go outside to look at rough cuts on my phone. Because, you know, nowadays you shoot, you, you cut something on the Avid, sure. you crank out a digital daily, yeah. and you email it to somebody, and they can watch the rough cut on their phone or on your laptop or on your sure, phone. Sure. I was literally at this bat mitzvah ducking, <laughs> ducking outside to go watch rough cuts. <laughs> I mean, it was, just, it, it was really on, – on the, the day before the Oscars yeah. – okay, the day before the Oscars was Saturday. Uh, just for this project, mm-hmm. between 8 a.m. and 11 p.m., I wrote 91 emails. I counted because on, on Sunday I counted. Yeah. I wrote 91 emails on Saturday, all about this project. It was it was relentless. It was miserable and relentless. But now it's over. Well, well, good for you. And and what what are your feelings about the Oscars? I here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I watched the Oscars yes. all by myself in my living room, just waiting for the next email to come in. <laughs> but the thing is, is that by the time the Oscars started, you know, the whole town shuts down. Yeah. So even with this miserable, you know, I work in TV, whatever, yeah. and even with this miserable project everybody still shut the h up for the oscars wow so i watched it myself at Very home nice. in my living room good thank you uh what are they you know what i i all all around it was you mean it as a show or as a or as the, or the award winner let's start with the show as a television producer person <laughs> what was your sense of the show uh i thought that the show was uh, i thought that neil patrick harris i was never a fan of the choice yeah. I like him a lot. He's very, very talented. I yeah. mean, the guy's a born entertainer. Yeah. But he's just not Oscar hefty to me. He doesn't really – he's not really in movies. He's like a, t- he's like a TV guy and a Broadway guy and a very hey, talented guy. He's in the Smurfs movie. Exactly. Yeah. But to me, he just uh, – he doesn't have that weight. You know, Billy Crystal had that weight. Bob Hope, Johnny Carson had that weight. I agree. But and Johnny I, Carson, who's not, a, who's not a movie guy either, but right. he still had that weight. I agree, but I did not expect to agree. I, I thought he was. I mean, just having seen what he's done for other shows, I thought, well, he'll he'll kill it. But the, you know what? It's uh, you, you, it's true that you, to be an Oscar host, you need something different from what it takes to be an Emmy host or to be a, a, a Tony host or a Grammy host. It's a it's a different job. Well, that, a, but but that's part of it too. It, when you and his writers let him down. Everyone's been saying that the writers let him down. I mean, the opening was good. The Birdman bit was good. The um, opening was good. The opening was terrific. The the the, 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 the bird, thing with the the thing with the with, with, with the briefcase that Octavia Spencer was staring at. That was, was terrible. That was a dud. That that that. Wank. And then also yeah, that, and also you know, it's, and, and I, I felt not that I felt bad for him, but there was a moment. The woman who won, I believe, it was best not Laura. 
Poitras, but the woman she was with, she accepted with, was wearing that dress yeah. that had all those black puffy balls yeah. on it. Yeah. Right? So I think it was her. So the woman gives this acceptance speech. It's very heartfelt. Yes, and and talked about you know the the she lost what was so, it was suicide or something. It was, it was. It was something it was, terrible. Was, yes, and he came out and he made a crack about the dress as though he weren't even listening. He didn't even listen. Uh, he, he was like, you, you you've got to have balls to wear that dress. Or that dress. Yeah. And I'm like you know what that's, that's no. you are now prioritizing the joke over the moment. Over the moment. Yeah. And at that point, that he, he lost me. But. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say is that the problem with Patrick Harris, who again I think is very talented, when the Oscars hire him as host, now you're now the Oscars are sloppy thirds, not even sloppy yeah. seconds, because yeah. he's already hosted the Tonys and he's already hosted other award shows. I agree. Uh-huh. But here's so, the thing, though. But the one thing about the show, yeah, is that and and I, I think you've said this before, the Oscars will always be the Oscars. Always, they can do whatever they can take. They can take awards out. They can put awards in. They can make the whole thing a musical. It's always going to be three and a half hours, and it's always going to be. It can't be the Golden Globes. No. It can't be the Brit Awards. It can't be the Baptists. It's going to be the Oscars. It's always going to get at least thirty-five million people watching it, but they are not satisfied with that. They need forty-plus million people, and they love to have fifty-plus. Right? Like only twice have they gotten fifty million people watching the Oscars, and that was when ET was up for Best Picture, and the other time was when Titanic was up. So, you know, hence the reason that they want the big movies in there. But how the question is, 35 million people are already locked in. So how are you going to get the other 5 to 10 million people to watch? That's what they have to ask themselves. And those 5 to 10 million people who aren't watching, they're not all 20-year-olds. Okay? Well, so I, know, I know the advertisers would like for them to be, but the demographics are always going to be what they're going to be. So they've, they, got, they've got to figure that out. Well, see, they thought they would get those extra people if they expanded the Best Picture category yeah. from five to as many as ten. Right. So now suddenly Avengers is up for Best Picture because it's so popular and then mm. all the kids start to watch. Well, they, you know, it turns out that when you expand <laughs> it to five or ten, you didn't make room for Avengers. You made room for Whiplash. <laughs> you know? That's true. Which is yeah. great. I mean, you know, I agree. screw this. I mean, look, I, I like Avengers. I'm all about it. But yeah. like Best Picture, come on. No. Yeah. You know. Well, anyway, speaking of, so good. let's and, go oh, to the show. And, yes, and, and also I have to say that uh, uh, the awards, which we'll talk about in a second, yes. because you're holding a Blu-ray in your hand, yes. that happened to win an award or two, uh, uh, the awards I thought were very, uh, uh, very fairly parceled out. And I should say, before we get any further along, Anthony LaFata was the winner of our Oscar pool. Anthony really? LaFata. Anthony, he nailed 20 out of 24. I got 17. <laughs> he kicked uh, your ass. He did. I, he, he, well, there were a bunch of us who got 17. There were a bunch who got 19. Uh, Yassin, and God bless you, Yassin, for, for starting this. It was a great idea. So thank you. Big shout out to Yassin for starting uh, not only the Facebook page, but getting the uh, getting this Oscar pool going. Fantastic idea. Um, uh, he got 19. He almost he almost won the pool that he started. Well, here's the that thing. Would've, that would have been fantastically cool. You, but, you, you're uh, thinking to yourself, you're yeah. thinking to yourself, Mark, why didn't you uh, uh, do the pool? I did the pool. <laughs> but my name was my, – my name, instead of using my name, yeah. my name was Wade Sucks. Yeah. So I was the guy whose name was Wade Sucks, uh-huh. and I think I only got like 13 right. Well, there you go. Well, anyway, uh, Anthony LaFonta killed it. He, there was no runoff. There was no need to come within. By the way, I guessed the length of the show within two minutes, or the, the moment, the minute at which Best Picture was awarded. I got that within two minutes. Yes. Yeah, but, by, but by then, you you already gotten your butt kicked by, I had, uh, I had. by Anthony. So there was no runoff, no uh, tiebreaker needed. So he uh, he killed it, and we sent him a fantastic batch of Blu-rays, including uh, Boyhood. And the uh, Frank Darabont collection, and uh, Pawnbroker, Quiet Man, Bells of St. Mary's, and High Noon. Ooh. It's a good set. It's a great set. Fantastic. 
Yeah. I, I rewatched Pawn Broker about a year ago. Yeah, it's great, isn't it's, it? It's the Pawn Broker. It's freaking Steiger, man. He's it, the... He just... The, just and and, and by the way, it. for people who have an interest in film history, it's one of the films that helped break down the old production code. Yep. Because that film had women's bare breasts, and it was kind of a big deal at the time. And uh, yeah, that was one of the films that chipped away just a little bit of the production code. Indeedy, dighty do. So in any case, uh, we're going to talk right off the top about Birdman. because favorite Man, film of the year. Birdman, uh, not my favorite, but I respect it. And, you know, the editors are, are friends of ours. I, I'm, I, I have to ask my wife to... Uh, to courteously inquire and see how they feel about the fact that they are this is the first time in 14 years more no 14 years first time in 34 years 34 years 34 years since 1980 it's been 30 yeah 34 years first time in 34 years that a film has won best picture without its editors being nominated well because people assume it wasn't edited i know which it was but the last time that happened was ordinary people and it happened a lot in the 70s. Annie Hall won Best Picture, not nominated for editing. Godfather 2 won Best Picture, not nominated for editing. You know, so that, that didn't used to be a thing. But from Chariots of Fire forward, every single film until Birdman that won Best Picture received an editing nomination. So It was so routine that it was statistically considered for years and years and years that Best Director and uh, Best Editing went more in hand than Best Director and Best Picture. So... Go what, figure. Are you like an Oscar historian now? That's what I do. Yeah, what you do. So anyway, Birdman, which I have in my hands here, in a beautiful, beautiful uh, slip cover and a red plastic Blu-ray case. Ooh, How about that? I love this movie. It's fantastic. You know what? This movie came. This movie came at a time when I was giving up. I was. I hated movies. Even though I liked some of the big summer movies that came out, uh, I, you know, I was over it. This movie restored my faith. I saw it at the perfect time that I needed my faith restored in filmmaking, and this was the movie. It is also the first movie nominated for Best Picture since Dr. Strangelove that carries a subtitle, Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. But here's the That's thing. That's the complete title. Well, how about this, though? At, the, uh, at Hollywood Highland, yes. you know how they have the uh, – at Hollywood Highland, they, they have those big pillars, mm-hmm. and the pillars have the uh, each best picture winner. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the year and the best picture. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Those yeah. big gold pillars as you go up those big stairs. Yeah. Is it going to say Birdman or will it say Birdman or the unexpected blah, 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 blah? You, you, and, and I'm going to tell you a funny story here in a second. And by the way, do you realize now that Zach Galifianakis has been in a best picture winner? <laughs> how do we feel about that? Are we okay with that? Well, so is he. It's so funny. Like, you realize, like, you know, Ryan Phillippe, you know, he, he's, he's, on some, know. he's on some ABC show or something. Yeah, like, dude, yeah. you starred, you starred but, but, in a Best Picture winner. But here, here's, the, here's a funny story. I was talking to a friend of mine who, uh, who now run, he runs a tech company. He used to, be, he used to be run a film festival. And he was, uh, he was in a restaurant like last year, maybe early last year, whenever it was. And at an adjacent table was Inyaritu. And he was sitting there with Zach Galifianakis. And he was, uh, he was essentially pitching Zach Galifianakis on Birdman. He was, like, giving him the whole thing and this and this. And it was, like, he was witnessing, he was wis- witnessing history in the making. Ooh. And little Ooh, did right? he know that, like, you know, nine months later. Know. Yep. There Oscar. we go. So, anyway, I am a huge Inyaritu fan. Again, not my favorite film of his. I'm, I much prefer things like, you know, 21 Grams and especially Babel. Babel, to me, is his masterpiece. But, you know what? I mean, it is a proficient film. It is, it is a really proficient film. And it's, it's essentially, in many respects, the same movie as The Artist, if you think about it. It is about a guy who refuses to 
you know, be the, the, the thing that the industry wants him to be, to refuses to become a part of the machine. And in one case, it's a guy who's, you know, fighting the advent of sound and, and uh, studio filmmaking. In this case, it's a guy who's fighting what he has been, which is the past, the studio, the, 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 the superhero filmmaking. But it still speaks to the actor's branch in particular in That's the same way. That's why it won. That's why it won. Actors love movies about actors who aren't selling out because most of them are. Look, we have Argo, The yeah. Artist, now Birdman. In three, All... three in about six years. That's right. It's maybe a, anyway, so Birdman is a uh, is an absolutely fabulous uh, Blu-ray, but that said, it is not loaded with extras. Uh, you know the beautiful red case and the slipcover and all that stuff. Uh, here's what it comes with: it comes with uh, a gallery of photography that uh, Emmanuel Lubetsky shot. You know, because he originally wanted to be a photographer, Lubetsky became a great cinematographer instead, but still a great photographer. So there's a gallery of his stuff, and uh, there's a little all-access uh, gizmo on here and a uh, conversation with Keaton and Inyaritu. Now, do you it, wait it until the special edition? Yes. Well, yes, I think you do. I think you do. I, I mean, you can you know, rent this for now, but this is not to own. I think you wait for the special edition when you get the full-blown commentary. They, they crank this thing out so quickly because clearly there was no time for Inyaritu to sit down and do a commentary. That's that's how quickly this was cranked out. They want to make sure this thing was out. So, um, you, you know. What's funny? What's funny is this. I don't mean funny, haha. Yeah. I mean, just curious. Yeah. So, you think to yourself, you know, Eddie Redmayne wins for a theory of everything. Yep. Which we'll be talking about later. Yep. And um, you figure, well, poor Michael Keaton this is going to be it for him. You know, he's yeah. 62 years old. This was his big comeback. The guy's yeah. not going to be nominated. I mean, maybe he'd be nominated for like a Best Supporting Actor Oscar in, in the next Tarantino film. Like he sure. might get one of those sorts of nominations. Sure. But now he's starring in The Founder. Yeah. As it where he plays uh, Ray Kroc, the guy yeah, who... Uh, it's going to be great. He, he, I, now, I, I, now I'm thinking, hey, he could do it again. He could win for that. That's he, right. could, he could win for that one. He very easily They made the, the Academy may feel as if they oh, had... for sure. They wanted to give it to Keaton. They had to give it to Redman because he was really good. He was great. Yeah. But now they can it's rectify a that. It's a biopic role. See? That's what wins it for you. It's the biopic, done man. Done and done. Done and done. What are we doing? Oh, well, I, I love this movie so much, Wade. I know you do. You, 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 can, you can let me have this if you wanted to. Oh, Chrissy hasn't seen it yet. What? I got I to gotta let her see it. I, you know, his thing with Whiplash. I did not expect that to win Best Editing, by the way. I know. Interesting, right? Uh, yeah. Boyhood was the one everyone thought That's would right. win because you're compiling the 12 years and lots of footage and making the transitions. And so from a, a technical storytelling standpoint, it's usually that film that wins, not the one that's all kind of cutty, cut, 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 cutty, cut, 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 cutty, right. cut, cut, cut. You know, the action films never win Best Editing. But the, hey, this, this... This is almost cut like an action film. Oh, it's amazing. But, uh you know, I was I watched this film. I did not see it in theaters. I wound up watching the screener. And We're talking about Whiplash, of course. Whiplash. And and like I love movies where, and I think I've said this before. I love movies where within sixty seconds, yeah, you know, you're in the hands of someone who knows what he wants. Yeah, he's going to take you away. That first shot. I just felt like that first shot, this guy, right? that yeah. tracking shot. You're pushing in. You're just like, yeah, he, he, I'm in. He's, yeah. yeah, I'm in. He's got me. And I look, Ray. Ray was very cynical about this. You remember, you know, I quoted, I quoted Ray actually at our at our Film Week Oscar show, <laughs> the Egyptian, and actually started to get mumbles and boos for a second. I said, well, you know, our colleague Ray Green, who also does a lot of you know off ramp uh, documentaries for KPCC, he's part of the family. I said, you know, he when I, I was talking to him about this, and he said uh, I liked it better when it was called um, the. Uh, Oh, now I'm drawing a freaking blank. The John Hausman, the, the the paper chase, paper chase, right? Thank you. He goes, I like the better one. It was called the paper chase, and then people go like, oh, there's like this groan. And I said, no, but wait, hold on, because that is what it is. It is the paper chase. 
And John Hausman won Best Supporting Actor for The Paper Chase. That's right. Okay. I mean, it is, it's emulating that in many respects. Yeah, it's, you know, it's music school versus law school. But it's still, it's a classic structure. I mean, let's not ridicule it for being that. Um, but it is, let's recognize it's a classic structure, and it sets up, you know, uh, J.K. Simmons perfectly to win his Oscar, which he did. And I frankly like this better than The Paper Chase. I think it's a better movie. Oh, this is much better. Much to me, better this movie. is much better than The Paper Chase. I mean, The Paper oh, Chase yeah. is fine. Yeah. But this, to me, just took me it, away. It now, I, uh, the only thing I'll say about Whiplash kills it. is that I felt like the last 20 minutes, I, I don't know that I really loved where it was headed. You know, he sees him at the ball. I, I don't want to give anything away. Like yeah, that, I know. Their, no. dy- their teacher... Me, you know, pupil mentor pupil dynamic was so was was just so energizing that when it started to come in for its inevitable landing, yeah, it's like I I, I, I don't it, want to give much away. It got a little little less interesting as as it went along. Well, because it feels like it needs to give you some kind of dramatic closure to that episode uh, that you're not going to see coming, and it, and it feels a tiny bit forced. But I didn't care because it wasn't so much about the narrative to me. It wasn't about the structure. It was about the trajectory of that relationship, and it eventually brings that back, and it sort of, you know, it, it gives you, it takes it to where it needed to go. Even if it kind of, you know, stepped in a few puddles along the way, it still made it to the other side. Love it. So, yeah. By the way, it's a beautiful transfer, two, uh, uh, two, four, zero to one. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Um, shot digitally, you know, but and here's the thing. When it comes to digital photography, I, I, I still feel like everyone, every digital film has at least like three moments where it betrays the fact that it's digital. Yeah. And it's usually at night, and it's usually during like some like fast-moving thing we got digital. And it has the original short film on here. You know, the one that his screenplay was allegedly based on? <laughs> exactly. That's the biggest fiasco ever. Exactly. Like, it, like it, an adapted screenplay because it's based on a short film that was actually a filmed scene from the screenplay that was written before they made the short film. It's a, the, the Academy has got to revisit. I mean, the governors have got to revisit that rule. What makes it an adapted oh, screenplay? They've got to change that. Anyway, it, audio it commentary with J.K. Simmons, who of course is uh, is great, and the uh, writer director Damon Chazelle, uh, the short film that we just said, and uh, deleted scene, and and also there's a um, it's, it's short. I wish it was longer, but there's uh, a little clip from a, a Toronto Film Festival conversation with Miles Teller, yep. Simmons, and Chazelle. So very very high two films, very very highly recommended. Uh, Whiplash and Birdman for sure. And we also have the interview. Did you notice that during the Oscars there were no jokes about the interview, no jokes about North Korea, no jokes about the Sony hack, and James Franco and Seth Rogen were nowhere to be seen anywhere on the show. They should have been presenters. That would have been a no-brainer to bring them out as a presenting team. I know, just to say, you know what, we, we're, we're, we're here, we're yeah. making the moves we want to make. By the way, you know, I, I, I'm going to say something that... Uh, Hold on, your mic's, your mic's getting a little... Uh, don't stop recording. There we go. There we go. Thank you. I, I think... That for all its faults, I found the interview to be a really brave movie. It is in its own way. I really did. I watched this movie going. This is kind of a brave movie. It is. It really puts it out there. It is. Are, are you doing something? Yeah, I'm just making sure our, our connections are. Yeah. I'm making sure we're connecting. It's beautiful. Thank you. It's so beautiful. Uh, no, it, it is. And it look. It's not a classic comedy, but it's not a bad movie. A lot of people were like, "Oh, it's crap." No, it's not. It's 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 very funny. Uh, it takes a lot of great risks, and it's it, look. If you've seen anything that Seth Rogen has done. You, you you know exactly what to expect. Look, we're in. There's a weird little. S- Are you kidding me? <laughs> Don't stop the recording. <laughs> that was wicked. Did you guys hear that? That was like a thunderclap. Wow, that was great. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, there's a weird subset of comedy right now. Yes, you've got like the Apatow-ish comedies, yeah. but then you've also got 
the Seth Rogen inmates running the asylum. Yeah. This is the end. The interview. These just crazy commentary. You just feel like they're, these guys are totally untethered. They're doing whatever they want. The studio's like, you know what? They're young. Let them do what they want. They, they know what kids want to see. And I love that stuff. There is some great stuff on here. The, uh, there's filmmaker commentary. Uh, lots of deleted scenes, alternate scenes, gag reel, uh, he, you know, heaps and heaps of behind-the-scenes stuff, which is much better than your usual uh, EPK junk. So uh, they really they, they rocked it with this. They did a really good job. Lots of great extras. And uh, they put this together pretty darn quickly because they obviously – this thing was – you know, it was, it was in theaters and then it was out of theaters and then it was back in theaters and it was on – Online and it was it you know they, this thing the, the hack put this thing into the most incredible maelstrom. Anyway, there's uh really just tons of extra stuff that's a lot of fun and uh, they call this the Freedom Edition, which I think is hilarious. So absolutely, I, I don't know what that means. It's just it's you know why not? So uh, I think ultimately we're not we think that the interview is not a great comedy, but it's a risky comedy sure. made by a bunch of guys who are who just don't care. Yep. If they think it's funny, they're going to do it, and I love that sense of freedom. That they project when yep. they make their movies. Now, I like when it comes to funny. Like I thought, this is the end was hilarious. Yeah, right. This is not as funny as this is the end. The interview. But I it's so good. it boy, that's a tough. And by call. the way, the guy who plays uh, the guy who plays Kim Jong uh, Un. Oh, he's great. He's great. He's, he's like he. I mean, that's a thankless role. He's very good. Uh, you know, I I I like this better than this is the end because I think this is the end. Just uh, eventually, just just, <laughs> it just deteriorates into ridiculous. It's just, yeah. it, it just consumes itself. You know, it's like <laughs> it's, it's like best. a snake eating its tail. It just it's the best. Uh, but uh, you know what I'm saying? It, it, at a certain point, it just becomes self parody of self parody. But whatever, <laughs> it's fine. Wait, I was um, I'm a huge fan of ben, uh, director Bennett Miller. Yeah. Uh, but yet I was a little lukewarm on Foxcatcher. Loved it. Really? Yeah, loved it. Now why'd you love it so much? It's just really well done. It's an amazing character study and his his direct- but whose character? All of them. All of them. All of them. Okay. I mean, of three characters in particular. I mean, okay. it's there are there are three people who are central to this and and it's a I, I let let's call it a love triangle, shall we? Uh, I don't. I disagree with people who think that there's all of this homoerotic subtext to this thing. I think they're just patently wrong. I, I, I really do. A lot of people are like it's a homophobic movie because it's a, no. It's about wrestling. Okay, if there's anything, wrestling itself already has a certain kind of homoeroticism to it. You know, if you go all the way back to its Greek origins. So whatever is inherent in wrestling is by by extension is inherited by the movie. Uh, but that said, no, I thought it was uh, it was a fascinating uh, character, like triangular character study. And if you've seen any video of what DuPont really is like, he nails it. I mean, Steve Carell nails it. He's- I, you know, he does. Here's the thing. I felt like for, for obviously it's, it's a career redefining role and a yeah. piece of trick casting that essentially worked. Yeah. But I have to say that I don't know that Carell is a great actor. I think he probably. He probably found that little vein yeah. of a performance that he could own, yeah. and just he just did that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know that if you had given that role to another a, a, a better actor, a more seasoned actor, whether you would not have gotten a better performance. Uh, yeah, it, it. But it's it's also just a, a really really well crafted movie. I mean, oh well, Bennett Miller, the guy, he's impeccable. It's it, it's just everything is just so, so slick, and very so precise, smooth. very yeah. precise. It's fantastic. Unfortunately, this one also doesn't have much. It's got deleted scenes and a, and a featurette. So there's probably probably going to be a special edition to this at some point, I would think. Uh, a Bennett Miller commentary at the very least. But it's going to be a while because this didn't really do anything at the Oscars. So Ha ha. Yeah. Sorry, Wade. Theory of everything. 
My, now, fa- my favorite film of the year. You're out of your mind. Love this movie. No, you don't. Love it's it. It's so do. conventional. What's wrong with you? Wade, you ignorant slut. It's classic. <laughs> it's not conventional. It's classic. It, you know what? Uh, seriously, you're going you're, you're gonna to make a movie about, you know, like the most genius guy who ever lived. And like the guy could like, you know, he's the most smartest man who ever lived. And it's, it's, it's told in just like the same mawkish, syrupy tones that every other. It's m- not every- about him. It's <sighs> about her. You know what? I got to tell you, I did not like that character. I thought that character was totally poorly drawn. I'm telling you, I'm watching this movie going, "What the movie is a the movie is about her, obviously, yeah, right? Because he because he can't really do much. Right? It's her. But yet, I never really felt as if like, what is she feeling? Does she feel guilty? Does she feel anger? Does she does she hate him? Like I, all these emotions, I would have loved to have that had been tapped in the script were just not there. She helped bring some of it out. That's my favorite performance of the year. I no, because you love her. I love her. Uh, you, I adore her. She, 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 she like, go <laughs> for two hours. You'd love it. <laughs> but I'm saying is that is that since the movie's really about her, I just felt like I like yeah. I never really felt as if that character. I never felt all. She's amazing. I never felt all the contradictions and all love the regrets. It. I never felt any of it. Love it. And there's a commentary with James Marsh, who of course did Man on Wire. And, Which, by the way, is like awesome. And he, look, his direction of this is fantastic as well. He just he just cleans up with this movie. This is a beautiful, wonderful, classic film. Amazing performances. Thank God for Working Title. They make the only movies that I ever seem to like. That's true. Working uh, Title is great. But uh, and by the way, Eddie, Eddie Redmayne, who, as you know, I, w- I was as you know, I was blurbed yeah. in calling. Yes, <laughs> I was blurbed in Les Mis for, uh, yes. for calling him a, calling him a revelation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is I your fault. It's my fault. No, exactly. Yeah. Uh, he's great. I mean, it's again. That's one where if if he didn't just nail it, he yeah. like nailed it to Oscar winning effect. He did. Redmayne. Yeah, he, he my my only my only. First of all, I have to say that you love syrupy, stringy movies. You just love you this love. This would have been a a, a, a a Cooker movie back in the nineteen forties. Would have been a George Cooker movie. <laughs> it just it totally no. Been. It's just would have been a George Cooker movie in the nineteen. It just seems so conventional to me and just so mawkish. Love just, no everything no, about it. No love it. So this gets this gets the ultraviolet <laughs> treatment too. So you can watch it on your phone nonstop. No insight into what you really went through and fantastic, just fantastic, uh, glorious movie, beautiful, no, fantastic, glorious movie. Speaking of beautiful, fantastic, glorious, that's everything that Saint Vincent is not. Because you know people were talking Bill Murray possibly as the best actor uh, nominee you know, at, the, at the time. And they, how did Naomi Watts get a SAG nomination for this, but not Birdman? Like what? Where did that? You had an accent. <sighs> Anyway, this movie, I, I will admit that by the end, it kind of won me over just a little bit. It turned me around. But well, it's it, it one seemed, of those movies, right, about the old curmudgeon whose heart of steel or granite so, is softened by the kid. It, I mean, we've seen that in what, in, about a boy. and It's, like, it's, it's so it's formulaic. A, a million of those. It's just very formulaic. And really, without, without Bill Murray, what would this thing be? You know, you put uh, whatever, Steve Carell in this movie. What is it? It's nothing. Yeah. So I was not really a fan of um, St. Vincent, although, again, it's a good rental. I'd give it a rental. Um, there's some deleted scenes, which of course are always good because it's more Bill Murray. And um, there's a little featurette, a little uh, kiss butt featurette on Bill Murray. Bill Murray, the patron saint of comedy, they call him in this featurette. Yeah. But otherwise, uh, it's a good cast. I love Melissa McCarthy. She's hilarious. Naomi Watts, again, won a SAG nomination for having an accent. Uh, but otherwise, I just feel like it's very formulaic. Uh, a little bit, it's kind of charming, but still, I just think, you know, without Bill Murray, this would be nothing. So one of the five nominated songs uh, was uh, for the Oscars was from Beyond the Lights. I guess it was Grateful. Is that the name of it? I'd never heard of it. Never, you know, um, this has got to be the most unimpressive movie ever to get nominated for anything. Anyway, the, it's it's basically just a just a, a standard nineteen thirties era backstage musical kind of mo- movie. It's just you know redone for the for the R and B era. 
but uh, it's it. It's just, you know, uh, she's a singer and, and he's a cop who's supposed to be her bodyguard. And we've been there already a little bit with, the, with Coster and Whitney Houston. And, uh, and, and, you know, Danny Glover shows up and then there's a song and then it gets an Oscar nomination. I don't really get it. Uh, this, this, they must have been just beside themselves when that happened. But that just tells you how thin the field of Academy Award nominated, nominated songs is. ton of extras here. Deleted scenes, commentary, uh, a bunch of uh, featurettes, and it's perfectly, you know, a passable movie. But I, if you've if you've seen The Bodyguard, if you've seen A Star Is Born, if you've seen every other backstage musical made from over the past eighty years, you've seen this a, a dozen times. I just, you know, I don't understand the point really. Wade, uh, we have a clash of animated cultures yes, in we my do. hand. One of them won the Oscar, and one should have. We have, uh, well, the tale of uh, Princess uh, Kaguya should have should have won the Oscar. We, we gave, uh, Lafka gave it Best Animated Film. Yeah. Uh, and it's a terrific movie. It's based on this, like, 10th century Japanese uh, tale of this, uh, you know, like this woman who, who comes to the earth from the moon. Yeah. That's the whole thing. It winds up being just a very beautifully hand-drawn allegory on materialism and beauty. And it's just, it really is just a wonderful film. I mean, it's, it's long, so uh, the kids might have a... I have a little bit of trouble getting through it. It's like things over like two. I think like two hours and fifteen minutes or something. It's like that. long, yeah. But again, this is a studio, uh, a Ghibli film. This is not a Miyazaki. This is uh, he did not direct this, but it is his uh, studio, or maybe I guess his son's studio now. Yeah. Um, so it's great. There's a lot of uh, cool neorealism here. A lot of hand drawn, almost watercolor looking uh, visuals. It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the uh, Tale of Princess Kaguya, absolutely wonderful. Uh, let me see what else we have. That. Then on the other side, we have the film that won the uh, Oscar for Best Animated Film, Big which, Hero which, 6 which, from which Disney. I, which I called. I know everybody was thinking that, uh, that uh, How to Tra- Tame Your Dragon 2 would get it. But you know what? Uh, sequels don't typically win. If, you're, if, you're, if you don't have Toy Story in your, in your title, you're, a sequel is not going to win this category. Wait, wait. You mean that Big Hero 6 isn't the sequel to Big Hero 5? No. Oh, interesting. Isn't that amazing? I thought it was. But I don't just like this film. I think this film is fine. You know, it's, yeah, it didn't it's, work for me. It's kind of charming in its way. The big that Michelin Man kind of dude as he uh, does his thing. It felt like it, it felt like a like a quasi ripoff of The Incredibles, uh, done to sort of with a little with just enough anime, but not enough anime. A little bit of Marvel, but not you know. It's like you, you got the it even it's just it, it's not quite a Marvel film. It's not quite an anime film. It's not really a Disney film. It's not really a Pixar film it just it doesn't really have an identity it just felt like it was in search of a, a, a direction I, I didn't get it turns out it's in search of an Oscar I don't want and the, it and the, and the, the quote unquote sequel by Stan Lee or, or the, uh, the, the sorry the uh, uh, cameo by Stan Lee come on no doesn't no anyway it's got a bunch of extras on it including deleted scenes an alternate opening a um, bunch of Easter eggs you don't see Easter eggs much anymore on uh, Blu-rays or DVDs so it's kind of nice to see Easter eggs here so there you go Big Hero 6 of course it looks absolutely gorgeous like most of these um, CGI films do once they're transferred to Blu-ray and uh, there you go Big Hero 6 sure why not yeah sure (laughs) that's my blurb sure why not Mark Heiser Digigods you didn't like The Captive did you the uh, Adam McGowan film it's over See, I, I thought this was like, like no, a return didn't. to form for him. No, you didn't. I really did. It's over. I think everyone completely misunderstood this. I, I do. I think people really misunderstood this. I, you know, Egoyan has just been in, in free fall since, you know, he kind of peaked around the time of uh, Sweet Hereafter, made a few more right after that that were really, really kind well, of... Felicia's journey was good. Felicia's journey is good. And then he, then he you know, he did uh, Ararat, which was really disappointing. That yeah, was disappointing. And then he made the, 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 what was the thing that got the... Oh, uh, uh, what, what, 
seventeen rating. No, with, when the when he had Truth Lies or what's it called? Uh, yeah, it was that, that was with with Kevin Bacon and yeah, when oh the truth, uh, yeah, Ararat. Um, Oh, where the truth lies. That's it, right? The one yes. with, with Kevin Bacon. That's right. And, and there's like, there's like some sexy NC seventeen threesome or something with Kevin Bacon. Well, they're, they're basically playing, uh, you know, Martin and Lewis. They're playing Dean Martin right, and Jerry correct. Lewis. That's the that's the the, the concept there. Terrible. Uh, Colin Firth and uh, and Kevin Bacon. Uh, but yeah, that 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 like threesome sex scene thing was just where did that come from and I, why did you put that in the movie? Terrible. I, that was horrendous. Terrible. Oh my gosh! I can't but this imagine. one, this one, he wrote. Yeah. And directed. He wrote it with David Frazier, and uh, it's based on his story. And I, it gets back to that jumbled, uh, you know, timeline that he does where you're, you're, you're jumping around in linearity. And I, you know, look, it is a dark, in many ways depressing story of um, child abduction and, uh, you know, sex trafficking. And, and you know, the, like a, it, it gets into some pretty dark stuff. Um, but he's but he's he's no stranger to dark stuff. He can do it. No, and, and, he, and he makes that stuff completely heartbreaking. Ryan Reynolds uh, almost gives a performance. It's a good performance, man. I thought it was a really really good performance. I mean, Ryan Ryan Reynolds just absolutely kills it. Uh, I thought he was really really good. And Marae Enos, who I actually know, uh, known the family for for years, is fantastic in this. I thought she was just absolutely wonderful. And uh, I thought Rosario Dawson as the as the detective is fantastic too. Oh, you're out of your mind. It's can't you know what? It's just it's too it's kind of campy and kind of pulpy and yeah. It just wasn't really my thing. I just feel like I want him to break my heart again, no, like he did with I the thought Sweet it was Hereafter. Great. I thought it was great, and and I was particularly thrilled. And again, I'm I'm biased here, but I was thrilled that he used Mireille in a really really good way because she's kind of wasted in World War Z. It's like hi, I'm Brad Pitt's wife. And then it's a Brad Pitt movie. It's, it's, right. And she just sort of drops into the background at a certain point after that first big scene when everything, the zombies are pouring down the street. And then she sort of goes away onto a carrier and then... Well, that's hard. Right, because eventually he's separated from the... She's separated yeah. from the star of the movie. But here, here she gets to actually do something. And, and she's a really good actress. You know, she's a really good actress. And it's a, they're a family of very talented actors. And I was thrilled that he used her correctly. And, uh, you know, I, I just thought the movie had a great feel and I thought Ryan Reynolds was fantastic. So, you know, so you, there. You know what movie you should watch instead? Hmm. You should watch Prisoners. Right, Prisoners is is similar subject. Denis matter. Villeneuve, who by the way is going to be directing the uh, Blade Runner sequel. Yeah, that ain't going to work. It's not going. Well, he, oh, okay, not gonna I'll, I'll say this: a, it's obviously not going to work. But no. I am more. I it intrigues me more to have the director of Prisoners doing the Blade Runner sequel than if really Scott had done it. If really Does, Scott had directed, I'd be like, eh, I'm are you more it. interested? Are you or do, are you or do you like the idea more of? Uh, Neil Blomkamp doing uh, a new Alien sequel that ignores three and four. Well, I, here's the thing: that might not be true because Blomkamp is also quoted as saying uh, that was taken out of context. Not really true, but <laughs> I have to say that if Alien, first of all, David Finch would be like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah. Uh, if Alien three and four is like you know retconned out of existence and just skipped over. So the sequel becomes like, you know, Alien 1, Alien 2, some weird Alien 3, 4 stuff that we'll just forget about. Then Alien 5, I'd be on board. Would you now? Yeah, why not? All right. Come on. Don't you need like a proper Alien send-off? I mean, go back to its roots, man. You see, here's the thing. People don't realize how revolutionary Alien was at the time. You know, because, because look, before that, mostly science fiction films, and this includes Star Trek, and even Star Wars, all, everything was, you know, was... Um, Gleaming, beautiful spaceships flying through space, that kind of thing. Alien was the first mainstream movie to really 
let you see the sweat and the pipes and the steam of what it's really like to sit there and just grew it just grinds it out on this disgusting dirty greasy freighter and that was like revolutionary at the time it was that's it sure why was. Alien, that's one of the reasons why alien is such a masterpiece and the thing is that the movie is even more of a masterpiece because divorced from that which doesn't really translate to a modern audience the movie's still great uh yeah sure <laughs> uh sure why not um okay so I'll let you talk about those horrible comedies, and I will, I will make mention really quickly of The Better Angels, which is not on Blu-ray, which is a pity, but it didn't make enough money to justify putting it out on Blu-ray. Uh, Better Angels is written and directed by A.J. Edwards, who's been an acolyte of uh, Terrence Malick for many, many years, and uh, apparently has absorbed way too much Terrence Malick uh, to be, uh, for his own good, and he has made a film that is extremely ambitious, very well made, Rather sloppily written in some respects. I get what he's going for, but when but there's only one Terrence Malick. And here's the idea behind The Better Angels. It's a black and white film, gorgeously photographed, that is that basically tells the story of Abraham Lincoln's youth. Um, a lot of interesting dramatic things happened to Abraham Lincoln when he was living a relatively impoverished youth with a very stern father and, uh, you know, just the log cabin. We all know that story, right? I mean, really kind of outside. I mean, it's very, very frontier, very rural. And you're like, how on earth is this guy going to get an education and become such a great lawyer and eventually become one of the greatest presidents the United States has ever had, if not one of the greatest leaders the world has ever had? And, and it sort of tries to sow the, plant the seeds of how he, you know, the, all the elements that sort of combine in this series of events and the illnesses and the accidents and the, you know, the, all these things, uh, how all this kind of coagulates to build his character. It doesn't really quite pull that off, but you have to admire him for trying and for trying in the way that he does in this very uh, esoteric, ethereal, malic kind of way. In the way that he shoots, it is very malic-like. Uh, and uh, you know, there's some good performances here. Jason Clark as as uh, Abraham Lincoln's dad is really good. Diane Kruger is very good. Britt Marling, Wes Bentley. These are all people who have real serious credentials. They're all uh, they're all really solid. Uh, but the kid who plays Lincoln is not quite as solid, and uh, you know. So in any case, Terrence Malick produced this, you know, through his uh, through his guy a bone. Um, it's probably worth taking a look at, but I just wish it were less Malick-like and more distinctive. Even Terrence Malick, I, I just I'm I'm done. Have you seen the trailer for the new one? Not a cups. Yeah. But I heard it's just as ethereal and, and so what? That's what we want. Meaningless as the rest of his want. movies. That's what you want? I mean, you know what? I'd be curious to see his, if he does a documentary. You know that documentary he's been threatening to do. Yeah. If he does that, that'd be awesome. Well, we'll see. Horrible. Speaking of uh, horrible bosses too. Oh. Did you like my? Uh, why did? Why did? Oh. So this is the sequel to obviously uh, Big Hero Five. No, so um, this is the sequel to the Horrible Bosses, which uh, I didn't really like that much. I certainly don't like this. This one is uh, crass and tasteless, and it keeps just hunting around for some funny thing to do or say. And I guess sometimes it hits it, and then other times it's like, "Are you kidding me?" I mean, come on, guys. Look, this is such a sequel cash-in. Not funny. Not good for a Saturday Night Rental. Not good at all. Uh, This one stars the main crew, Jason Bateman, Charlie Day, Jason Sudeikis, and Jennifer Aniston, who, if she wonders why she wasn't nominated for an Oscar for uh, Cake, one of the reasons is because of movies like this. Because just because you decide to show up for a movie in Cake doesn't mean we should give you an Oscar. So you know what? If you want to do more movies like uh, Cake, then maybe you can uh, er- earn your way into an Oscar. But you know what? Keep we're not we're it. not throwing you one. Yeah. Just because you decide to show up. 
Anyway, this thing just a piece of junk. It's got a bunch of good bonus features on it, though. Uh, it's got, uh, you know, like a blooper reel thing. And, uh, yep. So it's got Chris Pine. Yeah, have, can I say something about Chris Pine? Yeah, go ahead. It seems like in real life. I be, agree. <laughs> it, seems like in, it seems like in real life he'd be a jerk. No, he's not. He's a nice guy. He's a really nice guy. Really? I just don't. I don't. He's just. It's. I don't know. He's not that guy. Well, he, you know what it is? Uh, oh, so you're saying he's not a jerk? No, he's, he's, he's a really nice guy, but he's not like that movie star guy that everybody's trying to turn him into. I know. He's Everyone kinda... wants him to be the new Harrison Ford, the new William Shatner, the new fill-in-the-blank. They want him to be like that guy. That, I mean, come on. That's Chris Pratt. It. Turns out that's Chris Pratt. Chris no, Pratt's he's, becoming he's, that guy. He's not that guy either. Neither, neither of them are that guy. There are no more of those guys. Just stop it. <laughs> really, just don't. Please. By the way, speaking of Star Trek, we have to talk about Leonard Nimoy. Oh, it's so sad. That's the worst. So I, I, I went to um, – now, only only the lamest Trek fan would know this. And by the way, I am one of the lamest Trek fans ever. Only I would know this. So I went to – I told you, I went to a birthday party last night uh, for a friend of mine who – and you know his sister, right? Mm-hmm. And so he is also one of the lamest Trek fans ever. Just like I'm one of the lamest Trek fans ever. So only the lamest Trek fans will know this reference. I woke up to my friend. Right, mm-hmm. and we hadn't really talked about Leonard Nimoy's death. The yes. Walked up to him and I said, "I said, the plants act as a suppository," and he knew what that meant because only the lamest Trek fan yeah. ever knows what that means. That yes. was a classic Leonard Nimoy blooper from the original series. Yes. He was supposed to say the plants act as, as a repository, repository but mm-hmm. instead he says so, the plants act as a suppository. And then when he started laughing, you saw in his hand, yeah. he puts in his mouth a lollipop. So when, ne- when Nimoy used to read his lines on yeah. Trek and sometimes he'd have his hands behind his, you know, because yeah. Spock would put his yeah. hands behind his back, he was holding a lollipop. Nice. So in that blooper reel, which you can look up, he says the plant acts as a suppository. He cracks up, puts the lollipop in his mouth, and only the lamest Trek fan like me would know that. Anyway, you know, point being, Dumb and Dumber 2, not funny. What? Yes. Well, I was also going to say uh, there's, uh, there's some wonderful stuff about Vulcan physiology in the Starfleet Medical Reference Manual, which I still own. And which I bought when I was a teenager. And uh, one of them is that Vulcan urine is thick and viscous and kills plant life on contact. Well, and you, you ran out of the room. I scared you. Did you? Okay. Very, very, very good. Very good. All right. Oh, no. You don't tell me you actually have a copy. I can't find it. Did you go looking for no. your Starfleet medical reference manual? No, I, I, have the Star, I have the Star Trek blueprints. Oh, well, I've got those two. Which ones? From the, from the, the movie or the original series? From the movie. Oh, yeah. I have the original series what? ones. I also have Star Wolf. Trek maps. I also have the Star Trek Concordance. I've got the uh, Starfleet I uh, have... Starflight chronology. Okay. Do you have the, uh, do you have the Star Trek II uh, photo book, which takes like, like, like stills from the Fo- film? The and photo puts... novels? Yes. I've got about 10 of them left. No. I still have 10 of them. I have yeah, they're, 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 I have those two. They're terrible. <laughs> they really <laughs> are. Once you have Oh, them... I used to read those. I'd be like, I, like how, how, could I, how, could, how could I find that interesting? How could I actually find that entertaining to read like the terrible. book version? Stills from the film with captioned under them. Dreadful. Well, I'm going to do a quick plug right now for a DVD that I'm actually quoted in the back of. Uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you finish this. Dumb you're and Dumber about, 2, not You're funny. talking about bad movies. Yeah, Dumb and Dumber 2, not funny. Either. Okay. <laughs> Why they make this? It's got, it's got an alternate opening, gag reel. Seriously, Dumb and Dumber 2, T-O. Oh, gosh. <coughs> <coughs> Making me cough. Why they make that? Well, if they were going to make it, they should have made it about two to three years after the first one. Because now it's like, you know what? They're not cool anymore. No, make it make it in twenty years or thirty years when they are both old and decrepit. 
But then that it's means, funny. So what you're saying is that do the original in like 1990, whatever, and then yeah. don't do it. Don't do the sequel to 2030. 30. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's what I want him to do. All right. So Oh Baby is a great little independent film, low budget film by a filmmaker named Stephen Rothblatt. Uh, he really went on a, out on a limb to make this thing. He has just been a, uh, just dogged about getting this film made and distributed, and he's doing it all by himself. And uh, it's called Oh Baby. It is a, a totally unusual film. There's almost no way to describe the plot. It's it's it, you know it's a it's it is a I how am I going to say this? It is like a a, a transgender comedy romance musical um, about uh, wanting to have a child. Not and, a, not another transgender musical right? comedy about wanting to have a child. Absolutely. Every day there's another one. But it is uh, you know this is this is independent filmmaking right on the razor's edge, and uh, I salute him for for what he did here. And uh, I am quoted on this box. I didn't even know that. But you can actually get hold of this three different ways. This is not something you can just go on Amazon and get. You've got to uh, either go to indiegogo.com. And uh, you can buy it online or do a digital download. Or you can go on down to Amoeba in Hollywood. They've got them. Uh, they've got a stock of them there. Or you can order them by mail. Um, and, you, you know, mail it would be at Stephen Rothblatt uh, Productions at uh, 1033.5 Sanborn Avenue, L.A., California, 90029. That's $15. But the best, best way, I'd say, is, is go online. Get the DVD or the uh, digital download from uh, Indiegogo.com. And that's I-N-D-I-E-G-O-G-O dot com. Uh, really, just this is, you know, this is when filmmakers just put themselves right on the line. And I totally respect it. There's so few that really, really do that. Uh, and then a couple of real quick ones. And then we're going to go into a Vox box and some listener mail. And then round out. I'm gonna, not yet. Not yet. And I'm going uh, to do a, a bunch of... Uh, Kidvid here. I'm going to plow through some Kidvid. Kidvid, which is uh, which is your way of saying Mark gets to take a pee break. Yes, Mark gets to take a pee break, and I'm going to talk to the other parents out there, people who have little ones, about what my daughter actually is watching now. Which is it, it switched up a little bit. It's amazing the things that suddenly captivate her. Wade, would you? Lo- by the way, by the way, why is Caillou bald? First of all, you're, are you saying that I am I am single and childless? Is that yes, what you're saying? Yes. Thank you. Second of all, even though you have insulted me by calling oh, no. me single and childless, would you like some cookies? Sure. Now uh, I, I try to make. Uh, <laughs> I try to make checkerboard cookies. Yeah. Of course, this, you know, should I take a picture of this and put it on Facebook? No. No. Just feed me the cookie. <laughs> checkerboard cookies. Now, these like look like little checkerboards, yeah, right? That's great. And, and that's how they're supposed to look. But then by the time I'm done with them, they look like just mutant, yeah. horrible, sure. checkered crap. Okay. But they taste good. So okay. here, wait. You ready, Wade? Here I'm ready. That's, uh, uh, what, what? Oh, these things. Yes. They're okay. supposed to be like perfect squares. They're not really perfect squares. But the thing is, do they taste good? That's all that matters. Mm. Mm. It's adequate. What? Adequate. Really? Yeah. Now, are, are you are you just saying that to 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 get a laugh? Are you saying because they're adequate? No, it's, it's adequate. It's not my favorite kind of cookie. Okay, fine. Yeah, I've been having a lot of pillow cookies at Sweet Lady Jane. What's pillow cookies? Oh my gosh, they're, they're like the chocolate, the fluffiest, chocolatiest thing. It's just like I'll just a mouthful of chocolate. They're look, great. Look that up right now. Yeah. Pillow cookie. Pillow cookie, Sweet Lady Jane. All right, so let's kill Ward's wife. It's one of these kind of black comedy things. Did you see this by chance? Now, is Pillow Cookie a cookie filled with chocolate? No, it's just like a it's like a chocolate chip cookie, except everything is even more chocolatey. Because I'm, I'm I'm Googling Pillow Cookie. Yeah, I don't think anyone else has it. It's just it's it's their unique creation. So here's the thing: right. uh, Scott Foley makes his directing debut, his writing and directing debut with Let's Kill Ward's Wife, which is essentially a dark uh, dark comedy. 
uh, about a, a bunch of uh, this guy Ward, his friends, essentially. Um, let's let's just say they uh, they they decide to act out on the on the homicidal implications of hating their friend's wife, and what transpires is uh, completely horrific and unexpected. In uh, in a way that I think is intended to be kind of darkly funny, it just winds up not being as funny as it probably should have been. Uh, it's it, they, they almost pull their punches too much. It's almost like they were afraid of really offending, so they kind of uh, blunted the edges of this thing. But it should have gone way, way, way over the top, and it just doesn't go that far over the top. Still, it's fine. You know, it is what it is, and, and it's got a good cast. Uh, I, I'm Patrick Wilson just continues to be a really interesting, uh, interesting guy. And Scott Foley, you know, not a not a bad directing debut at all. He, I'd love to see him do some other stuff. So let's uh, let's see him do some stuff. Donald Faison's in this. You know, he's always good for a laugh or two. And then uh, to wrap out the new movies, here is the Anti Bird Man. Did you see the humbling? Uh, oh, the Levinson thing. Oh my gosh, it's so sad. It's- <laughs> It is. You realize how old Al Pacino is? He's like, Al Pacino's like 74 years like, old. But, but it tries to do the same thing as Birdman, right? It, you know, the idea is Barry Levinson and, uh, and Al Pacino in a very low-budget movie, uh, which is essentially an adaptation of the, the least-liked Philip Roth novel of all time. Okay, like I mean, no one liked this novel when Roth came out with it. This was the one where they're like, okay, now you got to lay off for a while because this novel stinks. So somebody decided, wait, let's let's make one and let's hire Buck Henry to try and actually make something out of it. Even Buck Henry can't spin, you know, uh, you know what what is it? Make a sow's silk purse out of a sow's ear? That's, that's right. what he, yeah, that's what he's trying to do. So anyway, uh, it just doesn't work. Uh, so poor Buck Henry had to, you know, he, it was left to him and uh, and Michael Zebedee to try to do this. And, and, and they can't do anything. So here's, here's the deal. Al Pacino's an aging actor who's uh, sort of trying to get himself together again. And it's very much a Birdman trajectory, um, except it completely detours into this other weird area where uh, he winds up having this very strange May-December romance with a, a friend's daughter that he's known since she was born, played by Greta Gerwig. And then it just doesn't go anywhere, and then it, and then it gets really weird, and it doesn't really work at all. And if so, if seeing Al Pacino, uh, Stupp, Greta Gerwig is your idea of a good time, kill yourselves, knock yourselves out, go to the ends of the earth to see this movie. But if if just me saying Al Pacino and Greta Gerwig get it on, if that makes you go ooh, and you kind of get the shudders, you don't want to see this. So essentially, its audience, its target audience, are, are horny seventy-four-year-olds who realize they will yeah. never get a, a girl as young and hot as Greta Gerwig. Something like that. Okay. Something like that. All right, Mark, we got a Vox box. <laughs> well, can I do it now? Good. Now you can do it. <laughs> Wait, hang on. it was a false start. I know. It's been a while. <laughs> A pillow cookie there. That's not the. That's got the pillow cookie. I gotta find a pillow cookie. Maybe I can make it. Patrol the peanut pillow cookie. Oh my god! I gotta make it now. Fox box. Hi, Digi Gods. This is Billy Milby. Uh, I recently, well, not recently, last year, lent out my copy of 2001: Space Odyssey, a Blu-ray, uh, to somebody, which happens to be my favorite movie, and now it's long gone. Uh, which, of course, would happen if you lent something out. But I'm trying to figure out if I should spend or pony up the 7 or $8 that it would take to buy a new copy on Amazon, or should I wait till the next special edition, which there surely will be one. The only problem is I'm thinking that'll probably be in 2018 for the 50th anniversary of the movie. 
But by 2018, will Blu-ray even be a thing? Will it be, Will we have all moved on to 4K? Uh, just wondering what you guys think. Thanks. So my, my vote is just spend the 7 or $8 and get another one on Amazon. If that's your favorite movie, you've got to have that on tap at all times. Well, of course. I need to have 2001. There are, there are times when I just go through withdrawals. And I get in. I, I start. I get. I get short of breath. Right. And I start to see. You get the I, DTS. You get the DTS. I get, I get, I get short of breath. I, I see spots, and I start. I, I gotta start hyperventilating. I gotta. I put two thousand and one in, and it just makes it all better. <laughs> and you gotta have that on tap at all times, Billy. So, Billy, thank you for the question. But I gotta say, get get, get a copy as quickly as well. You can. Hang on, that's only half the question. Yes. The other question is: Let's say by the fiftieth anniversary of the film, will there even be Blu-rays anymore? Or will it all be streaming? Now, by the way, whatever the answer is, yeah. I don't care because I want Blu-rays yeah. only because you get the audio commentaries, you get, the, you, are, you get the extras. You are always going to have movies like 2001 available in packaged media because they are super classics and people are going to want to have them and they're going to want to own them and they're going to want to put them in. And you'll never be able to deliver through any kind of streaming compression scheme the image and audio quality that you get with packaged media. You just They're not going to do it. The bandwidth is never going to be there. You would have to completely, you'd have to like fiber optic wire the entire country from the ground up. And it's it just, it, it's, it's too expensive. Although it's now just, with net neutrality. It, that's going to make it even harder, frankly. It'll never happen now. It'll never happen. You're never going to be able to, to do that. So uh, I would say, yes, eventually there's going to be a 4K Blu-ray. I, I'm sure it'll be one of the first 4K Blu-rays, frankly. I think movies that, are, that were shot in 65 will be some of the first that they're going to want to showcase in, in 4K Blu-ray. But, I, you know, still, that's, that's, I, that's a good... It's at least a year away before we start seeing any substantial 4K Blu-ray product. There are, there are, they don't, the play, I mean, the, the spec has only been finalized just within the last few months. So I agree. I, you'll, you might see a little bit of testing the waters, a little uh, you know, early adopter uh, stuff with, as far as players and discs this, uh, this coming Christmas. But I'd say 2016 is when that's likely. And you don't want to wait till 2016 to watch this movie again. Get your 2001. Go get another one. <laughs> For eight bucks? Or, or put a hit out on the person who hasn't returned it. That, see, that, see that's, that's the problem right there. Who did you lend it to? Why have they not returned it? And what does it say about, A, them that they would not return something? And, B, what does it say about you that you have not chased after them with a knife? I agree. So, Billy, do that. Get on that. All right. And uh, real quick, some, some listener mail. Uh, listener mail. And, by the way, you know, uh, gods at digigods.com. For Vox boxes. <coughs> Mark, I'm getting a dry throat here. Is that because of the cookie? More water. That's not because of the cookie. No, it's it, it, the cookie kind of soaked up all the moisture in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> Is it that bad? It's a little. It's a little bit of an antihistamine. Yeah. Really? It's not I that think bad. It was, it's it was that bad. So anyway, uh, go, go through really quickly through some uh, some emails here. Uh, we've got Vince Honeycutt. Uh, would you, wait? Would you please promote the other podcast you're on? Sometimes you mention it in passing, but you should promote it. Uh, and did you mention the release of Princess Mononoke on Blu-ray? If so, I guess I missed it. Uh, first off, the other thing I'm on, I, which I don't mention enough because I'm not on every week, is uh, Film Week. It's a it's on KPCC FM in Los Angeles. It is an NPR affiliate, and I'm on usually once, sometimes twice a month. Uh, in April, I'm not on at all. I get a break for the whole month of April, but that's uh, Film Week, and you can go to uh, SCP. PR for Southern California Public Radio.org. That's the, uh, where the home for Film Week is, which is part of uh, Larry Mantle's Air Talk show, which is a daily show. Uh, or you can just go to uh, iTunes and search on Film Week. 
And as far as, Prince, as, far as Princess Mononoke, uh, yeah, we didn't get a copy of it. Um, we are going to be talking about the, um, the in, a, in a future show, some of the other Studio Ghibli releases that came out the same week. Um, but yeah, Princess Mononoke did come out on Blu-ray. Uh, they were not able to send us a copy, very constrained product on it, but it's, uh, it is out there. It is out there. Disney has finally released them. And um, Eric Altieri says, I have to say, I really miss the Baking with Mark segment on the podcast. Mark, what's going on? Did your stove break? Wade is hungry. We just remedied that. We with did. The, with, we just remedied that, Eric. Yeah, but not, not successfully. By the way, I had a nah, very... Emba- my mouth is all dry now. I had a very embarrassing ice cream fail last night. Yeah. I tried to make uh, ice cream. Yeah. And I failed. I, I, don't, I don't really understand the appeal. You don't to- care about my no. ice cream fail, do you? No, I don't. Not really. It's a very exciting story. Yep. Well, There's aliens right. involved and, you know, and big money, high stakes. Yeah. I'm you sure. don't care. So anyway, um, and then we got uh, an email from Luke who writes us and says, uh, thanks for the uh, insight and, and the events and the Academy nominations in a non-hyperbolic way. Thanks for that. I uh, got a few questions. I'm a little surprised that Gone Girl is being released with a simple commentary when Fincher is known for having pretty comprehensive extras with his releases. Will a double dip depend entirely on Pike winning an Oscar? This was just before the Oscars. Or do you see a special edition coming later in the future? First of all, she was never going to win the Oscar. And I think a special edition may come, uh, will probably come, but not, in, uh, not very soon. No, I agree. Yeah. It, it, it just it, wasn't as financially successful as they thought it might be. That's right. It, it, it just didn't, didn't go. I mean, there. maybe if it winds up... You know, sitting right next to everybody's Gone Girl book yeah. on in, in in living rooms of America. Yeah. Maybe they'll go for it, but it doesn't look that way. He also said, could you ever see Criterion doing a release of Nicholas Winding Refn's Drive, or is that one just out of the question for whatever reason? I would doubt it, because Drive was made by Film District, which was part of Fo- which is now part of Focus. It all They folded Film District. It became Focus. And that's a wholly owned Universal subsidiary, and I don't see Universal really letting that loose for Criterion release. I just don't. I, I agree. And then his third question for you personally, what do you prefer when it comes to reading books that have adaptations in the works? Uh, do you like to read the book first to see how the movie compares, or do you like to see how the film holds up on its own? Uh, I don't have time to read books, so it doesn't really matter for <laughs> well, me. Well, plus you're illiterate. Yeah, and yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, it, you know, if, even if I had time to read books, I'd actually then I'd have to I'd have to learn to read first. Yeah, take years. It'd take forever. I was actually curious because I had read Gone Girl and I was curious to see how it stacked up. But generally speaking, I don't feel obligated. Yeah. Like I did not want to sit through, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey, the book. I heard it was horrible, really poorly have written. You, have you seen any of the excerpts from it? No. Oh, my gosh. It's like it, – it, it, it truly, it's like caveman speak. It's the worst. I was writing better than that in second grade. I, that's, it's insane. I've seen better scrawl on bathroom walls. It is, it is horrific how badly written it is. And it's what's, appalling. And what's funny is that now E.L. James wants to write the script for the sequel herself. Let her. <laughs> let her. Seriously, let she, her. Because she, she, she thinks she's all that yeah. as a writer. It turns out she's not. Let her. Okay, here I go, Mark. Kidvid, you ready? Uh, yeah, I'll be okay. right back. All right. 16 episodes of regular show on the Mordecai Pack. Uh, the Mordecai Pack, not to be confused with the Johnny Depp film that recently tanked where he re- basically played Terry Thomas. Uh, regular show, still don't get it, but it's a Cartoon Network thing. Also from Warner Brothers on Cartoon Network, Adventure Time, Frost and Fire. This show still creeps me out. Another 16 episodes of this creepy show that friends of mine absolutely pillory me. for. Mark has actually gone to the couch. Friends of mine pillory me for not liking this. Hi, Wade. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? All right, My Little Pony. 
I have a little girl. I've not let her see anything My Little Pony related to uh, related yet. Uh, we've got the 30th anniversary of My Little Pony the movie. This is the original My Little Pony, uh, not the more recent uh, uh, Friendship is Magic incarnation. Uh, it features the voices of Danny DeVito, Tony Randall, and Cloris Leachman. Actually kind of sweet. Uh, you know, it's, it's a very dated animation, but uh, the voices are good, good talent, and, uh, you know, uh, Madeline Kahn, Rhea Perlman... A lot of good voice talent here. So uh, it, with the sing-alongs, probably good for kids. I'll let you know how my daughter reacts to it when I decide to risk showing it to her. Uh, on the uh, My Little Pony Friendship is Magic front, we also have The Adventures of Cutie Mark Crusaders. This show kind of creeps me out just because I know all about the um, the brony movement. And I'm, uh, you know, there are uh, five episodes on here. But every time I watch them, I picture a grown man just, just slobbering over this show. And I, I'm not sure how I handle that. And then there's also the complete season four for My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, uh, which, you know, it, this, this has a, a panel from 2014 San Diego Comic-Con that is borderline creepy. Uh, and then the sing-alongs combined with that panel is just it's a little too creepy. But, you know, a lot of little girls love this, and it doesn't matter if grown men also love it. Just uh, don't tell me about it. Uh, we also have... From the uh, on the Nickelodeon front, most of what my daughter watches is Nickelodeon. I will be honest, uh, Nickelodeon Junior in particular. And uh, my wife hates Max and Ruby. She doesn't like the voices. I think Max and Ruby are cute little bunnies, and uh, I seem to like it better than my daughter. So here we have Max and Ruby's sweet siblings, and uh, there are uh, twelve episodes here that are all absolutely charming. Max never really speaks. He's he's kind of uh, you know Ruby has to has to pull him along. I'm less enthralled by Blaze of Glory, which is this mini-movie with these, these you know, uh, personified monster trucks. It's very much like Pixar's Cars. Uh, it doesn't really work. It's, it's, it's kind of dull, made mainly for, for little boys and who don't know any better. And then we have uh, Springtime Adventures, which is the usual uh, cornucopia of uh, individual episodes. You got Team Umazumi and Dora the Explorer and Blue's Clues, Wonder Pets, Bubble Guppies, Wally Kazam. They just kind of give you one episode of each of those with a little springtime theme just to kind of plug each of the individual shows. Uh, Dora and Friends features a, an older Dora, and I'm kind of, a, I'm kind of, kind of creeped that Dora's actually growing. Uh, there are four different adventures here, uh, a slightly older Dora with her friends. And then we've got uh, the fantastic collection of Bubble Guppies on two DVDs. I enjoy the Bubble Guppies only because I enjoy their songs. Again, that's one that I think I enjoy more than my daughter. And lastly, Paw Patrol, Marshall and Chase, On the Case. Um, I'm not quite sure how, how many people respond to this. The, uh, the, the little kind of you know, emergency rescue dog concept seems a little forced. I don't really enjoy it. My daughter doesn't pay attention to it. Uh, PBS Kids, on the other hand, great stuff. Everything on PBS goes over really well. Big Brother Daniel from Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, certainly a, a good educational show. Psy Girls, seasons one and two, is, uh, is for older kids. This is a Daytime Emmy Award winner. Uh, but this is definitely uh, really smart for the tweens, it, superbly educational, good stuff to show them. We get these cool little releases with... Um, with little tiny puzzles on them. I thought this was great. Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, Welcome to the Neighborhood. Uh, Dinosaur Train, Egg Stravaganza, E-G-G, Egg Stravaganza. 
And uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, Super Y, another fairy tale adventure. My daughter watches all three of these shows, particularly Dinosaur Train and Super Y. Super Y is really good. Mark, did you know that Super Y is really good for teaching a kid to read? It's, it is. It's really good. So there's like a little bonus jigsaw puzzle on the cover of this, which is great. It, you know, it's like uh, 12 pieces, and it, it's, it's good for teaching kids puzzles. And then uh, Arthur, they do this great spoof. Arthur, this is PBS Kids as well, Arthur's Fountain Abbey. It's a Downton Abbey spoof uh, featuring Arthur. I thought it was really very clever. Uh, Dinosaur Train, uh, another one, I Love Trains, which is a few episodes of uh, Dinosaur Train, eight in total. Uh, Dinosaur Train, I used to hate. It's growing on me. And then uh, another one with a bonus puzzle, and I want to take a special moment to just ask this question again. Caillou, Caillou's Garden Adventures. Caillou apparently is a very uh, uh, educational show. My, my daughter has started to pay attention to Caillou. Uh, it, it, the voice, which drives everyone crazy, it's kind of this weird whiny voice. I think a girl does the voice. Uh, it's Canadian, and uh, they found that kids paying attention to Caillou actually develop their, the same cognitive skills as kids when they're reading. It's apparently very good for you cognitively. The problem is Caillou is bald. I don't understand why Caillou is bald. Mark, why is Caillou bald? Because uh, it costs more. It's more ink, more time for the animators to put hair on them. I see. Okay, very good. And then, of course, my daughter's favorite, Peppa Pig. There's a new Peppa Pig release, Muddy Puddles. Oh, more fantastic uh, Peppa Pig episodes and Muddy Puddles. Um, you know, you know. It, it, speaking of Peppa, do you realize she has now taken – it was amazing. I pulled out Muddy Puddles. She just couldn't believe – she was so happy. She grabbed it right out of my hands, pulls it out of the sleeve, opens it up, starts pulling everything out of it, pulls off the disc, pulls out the insert. It's fantastic. Did, did she also c- connect the Blu-ray player to she the calls monitor? Me, she calls me Daddy Pig. Oh, That's how integrated Peppa Pig is in our lives. I do want that. Now, she it, calls herself a hero pig. Okay. If Peppa Pig was a Disney product, you'd be appalled. You would not want that. I probably would be. That's probably true. And then we got this thing here, Mark. I, I, I can't get on board with the whole Lego thing. Uh, this is, this is the, an original movie, Justice League versus Bizarro League, with the DC Comics uh, superheroes Lego style. I just I can't get on board the Lego world, Mark. Help me understand. What, what's the appeal here? Well, look, it's the Bizarro League. I mean, if, if Bizarro is nothing if not superheroes as Legos. That is, but that's the very definition of bizarre. I guess. I suppose. Green Zorro. Bat Zaro, Cy Zaro. It's exciting stuff, Wade. Yeah. And it comes with a, l- a little Batman Lego. Yeah, that's great. Bat Zaro Lego. Okay. This is pretty hard. Tar- this is terrible. I don't get it. Anyway, it comes with, it comes with a little uh, little figurine here, a little Batman figurine. So I, you know, somebody will get a gift out of this. Wade, I, I came back to the chair because I thought you were done. Almost done. A few more. Just a few more here. Uh, Lala Oopsie, Festival of Sugary Sweets, all-new movie with Lala Oopsie. They creep me out. They have buttons for eyes. I don't know what to do about that. Uh, This is the best, Mark. I need need you to be here for this. Peppa Pig? The Flintstones Stone Age Smackdown, courtesy the Flintstones and WWE. Oh, my God. WWE and Flintstones collaborating on a Blu-ray. Isn't that great? That's horrible. Oh, let's try to indoctrinate kids into the WWE by teaming with the Flintstones. <laughs> well, oh. The people who fans of the Flintstones are our age, dude. It's not. <laughs> there's, this is this is for the fans of the WWE to help them relive their childhood while they're. It's not going to work. Well, I, I think most fans of the WWE never grew up. Very true. Probably very this true. This is terrible. Anyway. And then we have the best of Elmo three. Elmo, um, my uh, my daughter loves Elmo. We had to get her an Elmo at Christmas time. Elmo say Wade's a jerk. Oh my gosh, it's unbelievable how she loves Elmo. She even does an imp- she, she imp- impersonates the Elmo laugh. 
It's the most terrifying thing. <laughs> it's, it's horrific. Anyway, uh, this includes the little furry red monster parade story and uh, Elbo, Elmo and Abby's birthday fun, the full-length feature. They put a lot of money into this Elmo stuff. They really do. It's unbelievable. And uh, then lastly, uh, let me grab something over here. Yeah, let's do this. Uh, as long as we're talking about Justice League stuff and DC Comics stuff, Throne of Atlantis is an original DC Universe uh, movie, animated. It does not have the amazing artwork that is on the cover of this thing. That art, if, if it were that artwork, I'd be all over this thing. Yeah, that, it I mean, never is. It never is. That, that artwork would, be, would just kill her, but it's not. Uh, that's just a, a one-off that they use to sell the thing. It's the usual DC artwork, uh, but you know what? This is actually well-written. It's actually well written. I wish the artwork were better. I wish the animation were better. But it is really, it's an interesting story. And I kind of wish the guys who wrote these stories, uh, that they'd unleash them on the movies because they do a much better job. Uh, it's nice to see, you know, like Cyborg is in this. Wonder Woman is really well, well uh, represented. Uh, Aquaman looks totally cool and buffed out. Uh, yeah, so, you know, it's, uh, it makes me, makes me wonder why they don't have more cross-pollination between the animation and the, uh, the feature films. I think they need more cross pollination between uh, between the Flintstones and WWE. That's what they need, for sure. <laughs> what they need is Scooby Doo and the WWE. And then, lastly, the very, very last thing here, I'm going to make mention of Race for Your Life, Charlie Brown. First time on DVD, digitally remastered. Uh, the full length Peanuts movie. They're obviously doing this to seed the field for the forthcoming Peanuts animated feature, uh, which is actually, I have to say, I'm shocked at how how decent it looks. You know that? Have you seen it? Seen the the, the, the preview of it? Of oh, the, uh, the Charlie Brown movie? The CGI Charlie Brown movie? Yes. It, it looks pretty good. Yeah, why not? Right? Fun. I'm, I'm shocking. I, it's shocking how, how, how decent it looks. But anyway, uh, before there was that, there was Race for Your Life, Charlie Brown, which uh, really is, 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 is kind of fun. I, I got a little bit of a nostalgic kick out of this. Um, so yeah, this was like you know the original feature length, and we're talking 76 minutes here, an hour and 15 minutes. That's feature length, but the this was this was actually uh, in theaters back in the day, and it was it was a thing that we went and saw and paid tickets for, and and we enjoyed, and I still enjoy it. So there it is. All right, Mark, let's uh, do a couple of foreign things. We got four criterions here to uh, wrap us out on the uh, on the day, and uh, this will then do it until next week. Wade, when does the Escape from New York uh, Collector's Edition come out from Shout Factory? Oh. Scream, Scream Factory? That's all oh, I care about. Oh, yes. That is all I Hold care on. about. Hold on. I will tell I you. I cannot wait. I will tell you. I'm all over that. I am all over that like white on rice. April 21st. It cannot be April 21st fast enough. April 21st. So, Mark, Criterion. Yes, sir. I'm going to talk about Criterion. Lame. we got four Criterions here. Lame. Uh, we got Fellini Satyricon. Uh, first of all, I'll give you the two foreigns, and then you can mention the uh, the two English language films to everybody. The two foreign ones here are uh, Fellini Satyricon by, of course, Federico Fellini, and Jean Renoir's A Day in the Country, both of them on Blu-ray for the first time. A uh, Day in the Country from 1936 is an absolutely delightful uh, adaptation of a Guy de Maupassant story by Jean Renoir, and uh, it's, it's just all about a, uh, a family from the city going out into the countryside and having a picnic, and uh, what happens? And it's just, it's a, it's a great film. It's one of Jean Renoir's best. It's one of his least seen in the United States. And comes with uh, fantastic extras, a, a great introduction uh, by Renoir that he did in 1962, believe it or not, totally bizarre. And then there's a, uh, an interview with Christopher Faulkner, who's a Renoir scholar, 
who gives you all the details that you need to know about the film. Uh, and there's a, a, uh, a feature-length 1994 compilation of outtakes, which is dazzling. Uh, so again, it is film school in a box. A day in the country, Jean Renoir. Fellini Satyricon, fantastic transfer. Really gorgeous from a, a new 4K digital restoration. I've never seen the film look this good. And it is a gorgeous-looking film from 1969. Two hours and ten minutes of just uh, Fellini madness. Again, I prefer his earlier films. Mark and I were, were, were mentioning this earlier before the show. I prefer his, his, his earlier films, the less sort of fever-dreamy films. But this is a, a, just a gorgeous transfer. Fantastic 235 uh, widescreen. And uh, there's, a, uh, there's some great extras here. Uh, Gideon Bachman's uh, hour-long documentary that he shot on the set. Um, there's a, um, uh, a new interview with uh, Giuseppe Rotuno, the amazing cinematographer. Another documentary about uh, Petronius' uh, uh, work, uh, you know, on whose this is, this is based. Fe- uh, there's... Um, uh, what other stuff is there here? Uh, oh, and, and then a uh, bunch of stuff from the, uh, uh, like... A thing called Felliniana, which is uh, this guy who's a, uh, a collector, uh, Don Young. He has a whole collection of Fellini stuff, and it's it's basically a, a thing on his collection. It's great stuff. Speaking of great stuff, Wade, we have uh, two great Criterions. Uh, they're called Criterions now. I don't know if you know that. They just oh, you you put them in salads. Yeah, they changed the name yeah. of their company, and now they're uh, on salads. Um, anyway, Watership Down, which is from uh, 1978, is a uh, kind of a landmark animated film. It uh, it's because it was kind of a passion project for its uh, director Martin Rossin, and um, it is a it's a masterpiece. It is what 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 was amazing about Watership Down then is still what makes it great today, which is that it is unbelievably grim. This is like one of the first animated films it where it's like you just want to kill yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, it, it's a risk. It's uh, really risky, it really, but it. it works. Yeah. It's, it's faithful to the book. It is, it's, a, it's, it, it, it obviously respects the source material enormously. Parents will be on the edge of their seats. Kids will love the animation, but still, it's, it, and it's, you know, it's an allegory. It, it, what the movie's about a uh, a community of rabbits who are forced to kind of try to live with the modern forces of change. And the, the movie, just like the book, is a bit of an allegory. Yeah. And it really does not uh, sugarcoat any of that. It doesn't back away from it. It is exactly as the original author, Richard Adams, had wanted it. And I got to say, it's, uh, it is imaginative, and it is artful, and it is uh, unconventional, and it's absolutely brilliant. Watership Down, uh, new high-definition transfer looks really good. There's a picture-in-picture storyboards, which we haven't seen in a while. They used to do this a lot with DVDs. They don't do it much anymore, but uh, we have it here. Really good. There's a 2005 featurette about uh, the look of the film. And uh, there's the usual Criterion essay. So Watership Down. It's just, man, this thing cuts deep. It's really, really good. Fabulous. Uh, also fabulous is uh, Nicholas Rogue's Don't Look Now. Wait, Don't Look Now. Can you believe that? From 1973. This is Donald Perfect. Sutherland and Julie Christie. What, what's great about this movie is that it... The movie is it's it's a horror film, but it's really all about dread. You know, it's that Judge Dread. <laughs> I, I like that Judge Dread movie with the guy who played uh, Doctor McCoy. What's yeah. his name? Yeah, it's kind of good, right? Yeah, not really. What? How it was the raid. It was the raid with Judge Dread. I like the raid too. It was Judge. It was it was it was the the, the dread. <laughs> anyway, what I liked about it is that it's all about dread. And creepiness, and it's about this this couple, and they they lose their daughter, and so Great movie. so they escape to Venice to uh, kind of lick their wounds a little bit, and all this crazy stuff happens, and I'm not, I won't tell you what it is because it's just it has to be seen. It's really hard for movies of that era to 
creep out modern audiences because modern audiences now feel like they've seen it all. Yeah. This one, though, will creep you out. Tons of extras on this one, uh, documentary shorts and interviews, also from a 4K restoration. So really sharp stuff. All right, Mark. We'll see everybody next week. Next week.